The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. The scripture reading today is from Galatians 2, 1-5. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was Greek. Yet because a false brother secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Well, over a year ago, uh, phones all over Honolulu, Hawaii began to ping at 8.07 a.m. They were pinging just like, you know, when we get here an amber alert or some sort of thing, weather alert on your phone. It starts buzzing and it buzzes unusually. Long, maybe not like text form or notification form, but a long. And imagine this they look down and you're on your way to work, or maybe you're getting ready, and this is what you read Ballistic missile threat inbound to Hawaii. Seek immediate shelter. This is not a drill. Can you imagine looking down at your phone and getting that? Maybe you're getting dressed and you pick up your phone off the dresser, and after it's buzzed, and you look at that and you think, do I even keep getting dressed? You're in the car driving, and you're in traffic, and you're seeing that. You're taking maybe your kids to school, or you're on your way to work, or, or to class, and that's what you read. What do you do? Well, not only that, it took not just a minute, it took 38 minutes for them to correct the issue that they sent later, 38 minutes, that people sat and wondered, is my life over? Are my fears realized? What this message means, it was at stake for the entire state of Hawaii. I mean, can you imagine that? That's crazy. And then finally, at 8.45 a.m., a message was sent out saying, false alarm, there is no threat or danger to the state of Hawaii. Oh, man, can you imagine? (laughs) Then you get that. Now, in the meantime, those 38 minutes, you're going, okay, this has to be wrong. Don't we live in a a culture or society that maybe this message is off or what's going on? You you know, you work through the million questions that you can in that. But here's what the deal is. All the while, at the core of your being, you're thinking is, what's at stake is my entire life, my entire freedom, just down to this single message. This letter of Galatians is fascinating, and here's why. We're reading a letter that's an ancient one. It's literally from the fourth, maybe some people say fifth century, sent to um, a church that's really wrestling with a message. And Paul has set this church up and they essentially said, hey, here's what the gospel is. Here's what it means to believe in life, death, resurrection of Jesus. And people have come behind him with another message that is not just one that would say, well, there's some issues with Paul. It is a message this drastic that the very life of the church is at stake. The very gospel, the very heart of 
who Jesus is and what it means to actually follow him is at stake. And this is why Paul's language is so vehement, so strong. And even in this, you can almost kind of read his emotion that he's afraid. For the first time, Paul is kind of defensive and afraid because what is at stake is every bit of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's what it is, that Jesus isn't enough. And I know we're in a church, and maybe I don't know if uh, you come to church often, or if you've been to this church, or uh, maybe you're coming back into church, maybe you're coming back into a church after being kind of burned and cynical and bored, because you've heard a message that, you know, the gospel's enough. Jesus, you hear your grace, you hear all this language of a message that really means that you're a part of something, that you're accepted and loved and cherished, and yet, you know what? In comes behind it whether in the church or out of it, these messages that threaten every moment of every day the reality of that true message to you. And so you may be even in here cynical, going, okay, this is the thing we do on Sunday. It's good to be here. Great. Enjoyed seeing the tables. What does this really mean for me? It means this is like If there's anything in the letter of Galatians to these people that is a fastball right down the plate, it is that we need to recover and see where that message is being compromised because our entire freedom, our entire life, our entire church, everything we know that is true and what we believe in that first message is at stake. And if we don't, it is that huge. And and I think at the heart of this, when we look at what Paul is getting at. I think we need to kind of uncover it in a a number of ways. Three ways, actually. I think the first is how that message comes in and compromises us relationally. The second is culturally. And the third is emotionally. That it's in the water. Relationally, culturally, emotionally. Simple. You know, there's a a threat here, (laughs) relationally. And if if you begin, the letters, this is what's amazing to me when you read these letters. Galatians 2.1 says... Then after 14 years, I went up to Jeru- again to Jerusalem with Barnabas taking Titus along with me. I went because of the revelation and set before them, though privately be- before those who seemed influential, the gospel I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running, had not run in vain. What he's talking about, he actually talks about years. He talks about people. That There's an actual element of people in this. And so, sometimes we can read these letters and think they're just like quick devotionals to us. They're actually not. They're talking about real people that were struggling with real things in time and space. And one of those main ones is Titus. He's brought up twice here. And, and the thing about that, this that the, the people are coming in after to say to Paul is, look, this message to these Gentiles that you're giving them, right? It, it, it's fine, it's great, but Paul, your message, you got your apostleship, basically an online op- apostle deal. Like this is not, you're not the real thing. And so he's having to tell about all these years of how he waited, and then when he went to Jerusalem and talked to the apostles. That's why he's arguing so much, because he's saying, no, 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 it wasn't an online deal. I did the work, and Jesus revealed himself to me. And the real picture and person of it is Titus himself, a Greek who had nothing to do with it. And what's at stake here, and he says it, is the freedom of the gospel. Now, if you were to go online, and um, I saw this the other day on National Geographic. They're doing uh, Morgan Freeman, who does this thing called um, uh, God, you know, Who is God? He did another thing, um, kind of like, Who are we? This is kind of, I guess this is kind of his noon thing. 
National Geographic keeps pumping out. And so one of the, the things is, who are we? What is freedom? And if you go on there and you watch the, the promo video or anything of it, essentially it has a number of people all over the world in different languages discussing what is their idea and definition of freedom. And when you listen to it, you will hear one of two things. It's really that simple. One is people's negative view, that freedom is me being um, lifted off of restraint, right? Like anything that's going to constrain me, any sort of oppression, those kind of things. The positive side is they'll say something of the sort of anything I want to do. I'm free to do whatever I want. I can make my own choices. And it's really in one camp or the other. And no matter how the language goes, it's, it's usually from something and towards something. And when you read this, you see relationally that there's a major threat. There's freedom from a threat to the gospel. And the threat is this, that who Titus is, is not enough. That, oh yeah, this is good news, but this guy you're bringing in, this, this guy who's this Greek guy, who's not a Jew, who wasn't a part of kind of the initial stuff, he's not enough. And Paul brings him in as the illustration to say, this relationship that I have to him as a Jewish Pharisee saved by God's grace alone is going to prove to you that relationally there is freedom in the gospel. Because what's threatened is this. See, Titus was not only racially completely different from everybody else, but it says if you read in the gospels, his personality was really strong. He was a little off-putting. And not just that, but his gifts. He was incredibly administratively gifted. And you know how it is in this room. Some people are like, okay, if you're administrative, then you must not be relational. If you're relational, you must not be administrative, right? We always kind of joke about those things. And you usually marry somebody that's like that. They can help you, right? <laughs> but what he's saying is, imagine this. Woven in it is, is, is Titus enough? Is, is it enough just to be Titus? Because isn't that our deepest fear is that we're not enough, that our personality, our gift mix, our character is not enough to be received in. I mean, this is what we work on so often. Isn't this what C.S. Lewis wrote in this, this grand article called The Inner Ring, that they have these invisible circles that we're all trying to break into and we all know we're out of. They're not something that's necessarily written in code, but we know we live outside of them and we want to be inside of them. And we know when we're inside of them, when we try and keep others out of them so that we can feel like we're a part of them. That's this feel relationally because they're what these things called false brothers. Verse four, yet because of false brothers secretly brought in. False brothers were people that in that time were coming into the church. And think about it, false brothers. Think about that, that language next to each other. False meaning hollow or, or not there. If brothers meaning, oh yeah, we're really close. These are people who came in and acted, put on, yeah, we're really, yes, we're together in this. But when it came down to it, instead of really receiving others in the good news, they said, oh, here's the bad news. You have to become like us. Racially, you're not enough. You, you don't have enough. Your personality is off-putting. You, you need to kind of work on your personality. You need to be a little nicer. You, you need to kind of have a little bit more in your personality that comes in. You need to change your gift set. Maybe, maybe your gifting isn't good enough to, to mix. And so this gospel isn't really good enough for you yet. It's not enough for you. And I'll tell you what, that is the fear that I have over and over 
is the fact that I'm never going to be enough for those around me. And you know it too. That I'm constantly trying to manage or work myself in my, in my fears. That the threat to the real good news, oh yeah, grace, relationship with Jesus, is that I'm really not liked by him or anybody else. That I really don't have enough to make someone like me. So I need to alter or work on my personality. I really need to like study my Enneagram 9 and figure out what, I, are there four more books I could read on the Enneagram to understand my nineness better so that I don't nine you too much? You know what I mean? Like we use it as a verb. So we talk about that, right? Like that, that is my deep fear is that, oh yeah, people may love me, but they don't really like me. And see, this is where the threat to the gospel comes in, is these false brothers are saying the same thing. They're saying false brothers, meaning that they're saying, oh yeah, you can receive this. This is good. It is good news, but you have to do this first. In order to be received in, in order to be relationally accepted, you you have to act not Greek. You have to be more of this race. You see how this goes to the heart of the racism issue even in our country. That still exists, 21st century. Is the gospel good enough for everyone to be received and liked? Or do we need to become more like something? Do I need to change anything about my personality to have that? Do I need to have that? It strikes at the heart of that, the freedom that we have. Paul is using Titus as this example because he knows that this is the ultimate example of someone being brought in. That he doesn't look like them. He doesn't talk like them. He doesn't act like them. He doesn't pastor like them. He doesn't relate like them. And yet, is Jesus enough? There's a great book called Safe People. I don't know if you've read it before. Cloud and Townsend, Henry Cloud, John Townsend, these two um, uh, counselors and, and theologians have written it. And they've written a lot of books. They wrote one on boundaries as well. Maybe some of you have heard of that. But they wrote one on safe people. And one of the things that the tenet of this book is says, how to have healthy relationships and avoid destructive ones. They say, unsafe people will never identify with others as fellow sinners and strugglers because they see themselves as somehow above all that. Do you see what Paul is doing with all his pedigree, with all his background? He's saying, I am not above this man. The gospel is the same for him as much as it is for us. It's good news. It's good because it means, look, you're not just loved in Jesus. It's not just some phrase that people like me throw out on a Sunday and you hope that it sticks to you and carries out. He actually loves you and he likes you. Jesus comes in flesh to take on something relationally, not just a word, not just the language of a a love note. We talk about that so so uh, casually, almost like the Bible's a Hallmark card, but it's, it's got to be more than that because if, it's got to be more than something just cheesy and schmaltzy. It has to go to the root of the places where I don't think I could ever be liked by anybody. And I work so hard to change this part of me in order to be that. The gospel is good news because it's good to the places where you hate those things about yourself because you're liked and loved in those. Relationally. You're brought in. You're part of that. And here's how you know this is true. Because the tenet of Christianity is that Jesus himself came in flesh and was an outcast and dismissed and not understood even by his closest 
followers. His own family said at one point, I think he's crazy. What do we do with him? And yet, what does he do? He has to come and not only take on those things of being completely misunderstood, but being completely and totally lost even to the cross by his own father to bring us in and show us that in every part of us, we are brought in. Not just the parts that we like, but the parts we hate. Because he loves you and likes you there. And there's a threat to this message also culturally. I don't know if you read this in here, but he's talking about this in, in this whole thing of circumcision in verse 3. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was Greek. See, the essence is first, yes, relationally, this, this is a person who is being brought in. But the second thing is that when he was brought, he was told, you need to like, take on these new cultural norms. Like, you need to be circumcised. Being Greek is not enough. You've got to become, yes, you can be a Christian, but you have to become Jewish, too, in order to do that. You know, I don't know if you've seen um, some of the Disney Plus. Disney has this whole thing where basically they've taken over the world, so the, let's make a channel about it. So it's called Disney Plus, right? You can see everything. I mean, they literally are owning, like if you look at that, they, they have everything. So pretty much everything in our lives will be Disney and Apple soon. But um, so Disney Plus says, and, and this is fascinating, I read this, heard this this week actually on the radio, and I looked it up to see if it was true, that now if you go back and um, if you have that and you start watching like old Disney movies, Peter Pan, Dumbo, all these shows like um, that we used to watch when we were younger and that they're making all these live action movies about, they have a disclaimer before every single one of them now. And it says this, this program is preserved as originally created. It may contain outdated cultural depictions. Now, you know what they're doing is because a lot of them did contain and, and have a lot of either racist undertones or, uh, you know, sexist kind of things. I mean, it, it's actually really interesting. And my, my boys have gotten back into, here's what's fascinating. Some of the television shows are replaying like Tom and Jerry or Looney Tunes. And man, I love those shows. And, I'm, and it'll come on and my boys will say, hey, do you remember seeing this one? That's like the always thing. Talk about making me feel old. And I'm like... Yeah, I actually do. I remember that. And I start watching it, and I'm going, that, I can't believe I watched that. Like, <laughs> they, that, they make fun of stuff like that now. <clears throat> but I love Bugs Bunny. I love Tom. But here's the thing. This is what they're doing in this. When it says in verse 4 that they're spying out their freedom, yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom, Right? that we might have in Jesus Christ, so they might bring us unto the slavery. That slipped in actually is the word stealth in. It means they, they were not invited. They slipped in. Their voices came in. And they begin to mix their voices with that and say, whoa, 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 it's a little outdated. You're a little outdated. You need to catch up. Here's kind of the gospel. Here's what it really means. It means, yes, Jesus, it's great news, but you need to, you need to take on some some of these traditions that really help you understand what it means to be a Christian, really help you understand the law. And they were so subtle, the subtle nuances that come in that, that really seep into the water, just like we have. Subtle nuances that tell us all the time, you're really only accepted if you obey this law. I was listening to Malcolm Gladwell's Revisionist History, and if you ever listened to that podcast, it's really interesting 
There was one, he said, the semicolon that talked about um, divide and conquer. And what, he, what it was about was he brought in a grammarian to look at our constitution and basically see, like, okay, where are commas placed? And this, like, uber grammarian came in and simply based on where the commas are placed in the constitution itself, if we actually looked into it and didn't change it, it actually radically changes a lot about what we think about voting, about states' rights. It's this kind of odd, like subtle nuance. You're just like, comma's wrong here. It should actually be here. Semicolon here produces that we all can't vote or every time we go to something, we have to vote. You know, it's like this odd nuance, but it's so subtle that none of us think of it. That is exactly how it works in our world now. The cultural norms, the threat to the gospel in us is so in our water, we may not even notice it. The, the, the multiple laws, and yeah, it may not be like some sort of like ritual of circumcision, but we, we have our ritual laws in our culture right now in Nashville, Tennessee, or that we bring from wherever we are that are so ingrained in the water, so subtle, that they are constantly saying to us that the good news isn't good enough. It really needs a little addition here. It's those moments where you're sitting on Instagram, and you may not stop to ask, what are the posts that you really land on the most. So that even the algorithm on Instagram is telling you what you really care about most. It's those moments, maybe you're sitting at a soccer game, baseball game for your kids, and the conversations that are going on around you. Maybe it's a lunch, maybe it's at work and the things that are happening between cubicles. What is the conversation? What are the the things that we care about most? Yeah, it's great to be a Christian. It's great to, oh, Sunday's great. That's reserved. That's church. But the good news is always added with, I need to live in the right neighborhood. I need to look this way. I need to actually have my job work out this way in order for me to know and feel and understand that I'm accepted. We have those laws. Those are rituals that we live in. We swim in all the time. What are the rituals and laws that we have? What do we add to the good news? It's really not good. It's good. Yeah, this is good news, but it's not, it's not good enough to really handle those things. You know what a catechism is? I don't know if you've ever heard of a catechism before. Maybe that's a new word if you're coming into church for the first time. But a catechism is actually an ancient way of teaching students, teaching children. And sometimes we read from those. <clears throat> we'll even maybe quote the Apostles' Creed. The Creed is somewhat uh, considered a catechism. It's usually for, for children to raise up and learn and answer questions about God or faith and those kind of things. And one of the things that I think happens to us so often is, as we are younger, we, we may grow up, maybe you've even grown up in a church and you've heard about the Christian faith and those kind of things, but all the while there are these other things catechizing us teaching us that this is really how you need to look. Yes, this is great. The Bible's important. Church is great. Jesus loves you. But you know what? You really need to have your body look this way. You know what? You, you, you really need to work this hard because if you don't get into these certain schools, you're really not going to be accepted as well into the culture as you think. The rituals that are catechizing us. And you know what we really need and what Paul is saying here in, this, in these verses? What he says here is, we did not, in verse, listen to this, verse 5, to them we did not yield in submission for even a moment. And you know what he's saying there? 
He's saying we need, to, we need to take up what is being said. Are we aware of it? And then do a, what's called a counter-catechesis. I re- recently heard this language that's being spread through different uh, areas. What does it mean to have a counter-catechesis? That we actually know the questions that are being asked of us in our rituals that we say, this good news isn't good enough for me because I need to be good in these other areas. Otherwise, I'm really not good. And being, having counter-catechesis. In other words, saying, wait, how is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ actually good to me here? To teach me my acceptance and how I think I need to be better and better at my job. And that is, is equal as good as my goodness in God as anything else. How does it support that we are better? Instead of the tension of being accepted, that we have the, just the right social circles that we have a gospel that means that we had a Savior that came and was not only misunderstood so that we may be understood and brought in, but he was thrown out. He wasn't accepted. And yet he in every way came in flesh to show us that we need to ask the question, how are we accepted in Jesus? It's not, again, it's not a schmaltzy question of you're accepted in Jesus. He likes you. But it's the depth of the question, are we, are we willing to go to the questions where the rituals of our lives that are so embedded that I'll tell you what, they're coming up soon, aren't they? Thanksgiving's coming up. And if you want an illustration of Thanksgiving and Christmas to draw out more of your own insecurities or the voices that tell you that you're not enough or where you have to line up as just as good as being good in God's sight, That's your illustration. Because nothing does it more than being around our own families, hunkering down of our own narratives and stories growing up, and then asking a question, the counter-kesis, the the counter-question to that is, wait, am I really that accepted in Christ? Yes. Otherwise, he would not have thought it enough to come in flesh. And to be not accepted, to be casted out, to be thrown out away. This is why Jesus came to fulfill the law. You know, Jewish custom was that there was multiple laws that needed to be fulfilled, right? Just as we have multiple laws that need to be fulfilled in our own customs and rituals. Jesus thought it well to come, not just, and people often say, why didn't Jesus just come and like die as a baby? Or why didn't he just come and like his mission there? Because his life had to be one that where he was ultimately accepted by his God, his father, and his will, and knowing that in every step, the one he wanted to please the most was God, and in every other way, he was unaccepted. By the people he talked to that were cast out, by the counter that that the counter-catechesis that he had to do in the Pharisees. Notice, every time Jesus is arguing with the Pharisees, what is he doing? He's saying, you are putting these cultural questions on them that are wrong. How do we undo it? We have to undo it by going back to our acceptance in him. Because we can't kill it enough in enough hours in the office to do it. And we cannot do enough for our children. We cannot do enough to be just right to find that spouse that is just perfect. Because those questions of acceptance will never be met unless we understand first how we're accepted and then can go obey, right? In all of life, it is trying to tell you, if you obey this, if you meet this, then I'll accept you. That's what they're saying to him. 
They're saying, yeah, Paul, if, if Titus meets this obedience requirement, we will totally accept him. We'll bring him in. That's great. That's not relationship. That's not culturally correct in terms of the gospel. The good news is you're accepted and your freedom, you're free from all those things of obedience to be freed up towards God in order to live for him. That's where you want to live the most. And freedom, and that's how it frees us up. But here's the thing that hits probably the hardest in times is when he says this in verse, the end of verse four, he says, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we might have in Christ Jesus that they might bring us into slavery. Slavery. Question of emotional freedom. See, most of the time, it may not be a reality. It may be a ritual. Maybe those things in our culture that talk about us. It may be relational, but you know what it is? It's when we feel it the most, the guilt. It's the guilt of separation that we feel the most. I was on my way to the beach. Uh, Some of you may have seen this story that my wife posted. We were on the way to the beach and got pulled over for speeding. And yes, she posted a story of me getting pulled over, and it was actually pretty funny. Um, And uh, when I got pulled over for speeding on the way to the beach, which, by the way, it is a note of kind of hilarity that the times I've actually gotten pulled over for speeding in the last 15 years of living in Nashville is on the way to the beach. Three times. Um, So... This time um, was pretty funny because I had both the boys in the back and Megan was next to me, of course, and she filmed, as she was filming me, uh, the boy, you could hear the boy's voices, and uh, our youngest said, does this mean we don't get to go to the beach? Naturally, good question. Yes, son. Uh, No, I think we still get to go. I hope. Um, My uh, older son um, said, Wait, this is going to be so expensive. What, what, what's happening? I'm like, wow, he's really thinking about that. Here's the phrase that got me the most was from the policeman. He comes up and he says to me after he takes the, you know, my license and all those things, which forgot the registration in the car, that helps. He comes up afterwards and he says, hey, I knocked your speed down a little bit so it won't cost you so much. And in my head, I'm thinking... Why don't you just knock the whole thing off? (laughs) But it is a perfect, like if I think about what he said to me, I think that's exactly how I want to live emotionally with the gospel. Instead of really believing that it knocks the whole thing off, I'm like, if you can just knock a little off, like I can manage the rest of my guilt. I can deal with it. Like, that's really how I I strong arm the gospel sometimes. The good news of Jesus is not good enough to say, you're really brought in, you're really taken in, you're really enveloped by the grace of God that it is completely wiped clean. I think, yeah, it's enough. Can you just assuage a little bit of this guilt so I can keep on going? Because that way I can get to the beach and kind of unwind. It is not good news unless it wipes out it entirely. And many of us in this room sit with the heaviest conscience of things that we shouldn't feel guilt for and we do and don't feel guilt for things that we don't, that should. Because our minds and our hearts are so turned over. 
And it's not enough. I've even noticed how much we can be motivated by guilt to try and help us to live better. Isn't that what I was even doing? Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll take my speed limit down. I'm not going to let that happen again. But isn't that what we do with our guilt? We can even motivate ourselves to be good, better. And don't we do that with people around us? Isn't that exactly what Paul is trying to say to you and to me and to these people who are bringing in a message that is putting the freedom of the gospel at stake? If you want to live free, it means you need to take up this truth. It means to pick it back up. It means to hold it again. I heard this once from some great theologians and psychologists that have encouraged me, they're Christians, to say, look, you know the biggest problem is how we work against this, our counter-catechesis to relearn it, is when we drop it, we learn to pick it back up, the truth of the gospel. It's not that it's gone completely. And here's the truth. You come to a table to pick up what you need to be reminded of. When my children, especially my youngest, he's in a phase now, and I I mentioned this a few weeks ago in a different illustration. When he loses something that's right around him, he goes into a quick panic. And this is very normal developmentally, right? It's like when you're a little child, maybe you teach, maybe you've seen this in little children, maybe across the way, when they lose something, and they're like, where'd it go? Where'd it go? There's a little bit of a panic. Until you say, hey, there it is, just pick it back up. And then the anxiety, right? The mercy flows over that. Do you know what it means to come to this table? It means to emotionally, culturally, and relationally take in your hands again and remind you that the gospel is not some ethereal word floating in the air. It has been taken up in the flesh, in the person and work of God himself in Jesus Christ. And if you want to know freedom, you bring every part of you, the baggage, the poor messages, the, the, the ballistic missiles that come in on the good news of your world in your day, come to this table and be reminded as you actually taste and smell and ingest a Savior who brings good news to you that can never be wiped out and it swallows any ballistic missile message against that gospel whole in the mercy and work of Jesus. We're going to stand in a second. We're going to recite a creed. And when we do, it's an ancient creed. You've probably recited it. Some of you may even know it by heart and memory. But when you stand to recite this creed, I'd ask for you to take in the words more deeply than you have before. Let's stand.